following this meme thing's been going on now for about two months what's your first thoughts on it my first thought is that memes work all you got to do is look at pepe's and you see pepe's in all their forms every single day all over the internet 6529 is not wrong whether or not they hold value that's the tricky thing right it's like well if anybody can make them and they're unlimited where's the value lie and this is where it gets interesting right does the value lie in that it's kind of a curated collection from 6529 or does the value lie in and that it's rare Pepe artists who are doing it, or does the value lie in the best ones or somewhere in between or nowhere, right? That I don't know. And that's where it gets really, really interesting and you'll get these hype bubbles and cycles and Lord knows what else. And that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, we're <laughs> back here with Adam McBride, Mafiko's in the building and ETH Horde. Uh, welcome to the show. Hello, Adam, how are you feeling? Bro, I'm feeling uh, frustrated. I'm hurt. I'm sad. Bro, what are you going to do, man? It's the best laid plans. Uh, the, the, the world works in mysterious ways. It will smack you in the face, bro. But keep getting up and you're going to win eventually. One day, one day we will figure it out, my friend. I guarantee you that. We will figure it out. Uh, Mifiko, uh, good morning or afternoon, depending where you are. What's going on? Yo, good evening, actually. Good evening. Uh, doing good, doing good. Uh, busy day. Sorry to hear about the, the technical difficulties. These things always happen, man. But yeah, no, I'm feeling good today and just been catching up on, yeah, gosh, what's been happening this past week? There's never a dull day in our space. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, yes, Ethan, yes, good morning. Uh, Ethan, my friend, how are you doing? My friend, how are you doing? Hey, good morning. Doing good. It's been been an early morning with uh, the baby waking me up at uh, at five, but you know, it's just all all part of it. And um, no, don't sweat the technical difficulties. You'll uh, we're all we're all getting used to this. And and yeah, I don't think many people are doing these kind of dual streams, um, but we'll find a way around it. And uh, <laughs> maybe maybe a couple more test cases that that aren't live, uh, and, and we'll get this straightened out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there are two different shows that, that do this right now, uh, Rug Radio and Nifty Portal. Um, I don't know what kind of black magic they're doing, but man, I'm going to have to figure it out. Uh, Dogfather, <laughs> welcome to the show, brother. How you doing? Hey, hey, I'm doing fine. How's it going? Doing, doing good. Excited. Um, I'm going to mute you. I think you have a little bit of static in the background. Uh, I saw Leo was attempting to, oh, here he is. All right, Leo is now joining the stream as well. Here we are. Uh, Leo, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Yo, what's up, guys? This is fun. I oh, like my this. God. Audio. It works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just going to have to run this for now um, until we figure it out. Uh, I actually have uh, a handful of different topics um, that I want to cover. Uh, first, going on with the memes, man. These, these memes are getting out of control. Uh, there's a few different topics uh, about it that I'd like to cover. Um, first, uh, are these memes here to stay? Is it just a, a meta that traders are going to um, just sit and, and swap liquidity back and forth? Or is this something that has legs and maybe could be uh, the next uh, PFP movement? And if that is the case, then we have a lot, lot farther to go. I'm going to go on here and I'm going to share here in a second. But uh, Adam, from your perspective that you've been following, this meme thing's been going on now for about two months uh what's your first thoughts on it my first first thought is that memes work um 
you know, all you got to do is look at Pepe's and you see Pepe's in all their forms every single day uh, all over the internet. And, you know, 6529 is not wrong. Um, whether or not they hold value, that's the tricky thing, right? It's like, well, if anybody can make them and they're unlimited, uh, where's the value lie? And, and so this is where it gets interesting, right? Does the value lie in that it's kind of a curated collection from 6529 or does the value lie in that it's, you know, uh, rare Pepe artists who are doing it or does the value lie in the best ones or somewhere in between or nowhere, right? Um, that I don't know. And that's where it gets really, really interesting and you'll get these hype bubbles and cycles and Lord knows what else. And that's kind of where we are right now. Yeah, we're really starting to see uh, some derivatives. Oh, I think this is the one that dropped today, the one that I'm showing here on the screen of, of Greedy Morning. Uh, 6529, he's been doing, or he's been dropping three per week, uh, and this is season two. So I think he's up to almost 50 cards now uh, in this collection, 59. Uh, and they're starting to follow um, some, some previous models. It's kind of similar to the fake rares where they're getting uh, popular artists to come in uh, but here, the difference is that there's four themes. I believe there's uh, Seize the Memes, Freedom to Transact, uh, We Want You to Meme, and there's a fourth one in there somewhere else. Uh, anybody here on the panel, anyone have any opinions on these? Have you been following them? Have you purchased any? Have you been uh, degening uh, the meta? Let's see, I guess I, not. I mean, I have been following these like from kind of the start, and of course, I totally... Didn't buy any of them, obviously. I the <laughs> alpha. But uh, yeah, basically, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I more didn't buy them, not because I didn't like them. I think you're basically, you know, we, we've seen large NFT influencers release collections and, you know, basically capitalize on that uh, influence that they have and instantly hit, you know, $100 million valuations just for a single token with a single image that's very primitive. And 6529 is one of the larger brands in the space totally makes sense why people are investing in him. Um, I definitely do think you're basically kind of placing a bet on uh, him. And then also this notion of like, we're going to do, we're going to do CC zero memes and we're going to try and spread the crypto ethos this way. And we're going to try to create a movement that transcends 6529. That all makes a lot of sense to me. I more didn't, uh, didn't collect these just out of like, I don't really collect new stuff that often. <laughs> I collect the the OG versions of these basically. <laughs> um, but it, not, that's not to say that these aren't uh, really interesting. And I just, I personally, am, I think it's very good for our rare Pepe's and our Spells of Genesis cards. This is how things become historically significant. Other people take that idea and innovate on it and make it relevant again in the future. This is why CryptoPunks are worth so much. If there weren't a thousand 10k PFP collections, CryptoPunks would not have the four that they have today. They would not be extremely uh, historically relevant billion dollar market cap NFT collection, in my opinion. It's only because that innovation was copied and influenced so many other people that they're relevant. So it's the same thing here. I, I'm definitely a bit skeptical when I hear people giving uh, maybe kind of the more Bitcoin maxi kind of uh, vibes where it's like, hey, these guys are, you know, ripping off fake rares. These guys are ripping off rare Pepe's. You know, this is bad. To me, this is actually a positive. Like, you know, so I'm actually very happy and I hope they're extremely successful. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel that as well. Uh, just for being in crypto for so long, you know, once uh, one community begins to hate something, that's probably when you just want to go max long on it. <laughs> yeah, right. right? I, you should t you get in a little bit, Jake, and describe the rares and the fakes of the rares and the fake yeah. of the fake rares. This is where it gets really interesting. And your brains, my brain starts melting with like, well, geez, I don't even know what's happening now. Um, which, I mean, I, I learned about this, like you guys, when it was actually, Jake was like, dude, you should go grab a couple of these. And I said to Jake, I said, nah, I can't, man, because I know the way I work. Uh, even if they jump like that, I mean, I knew about the 6529 when they launched, but even if they jump, I'll never sell. And so I'll see the whole hype cycle and then ride it back down to zero. So there's no point in me like even getting involved in this. Um, more just, you know, watch it from the sideline and enjoy it. But yeah, Jake, jump into the rare, rares and the fakes of the rares and then the Dude, fakes this, of the fakes. Th th this is like where it gets my mind going. So I first saw so Sergito, who's um, in a bunch of DAOs. He's a pretty popular person in the NFT space. He launched Seize the Meebs. He's had this uh, Meebit as his profile picture for uh, for quite for quite some time. And here, let me let me go over to it. And he um, he launched this one first, the Naka Naka Meet. What is this? Naka Mabito. Naka, <laughs> I don't know. Naka Mibto. <laughs> uh, and, and these were selling for like five ETH at one point. Bro. And I thought this was just like, okay, I was like, okay, a derivative. It's a knockoff. Like this, this really isn't going to go anywhere. And it gained a lot of attraction. I mean, I should have, I, sh I really should have guessed it because of his, uh, because of his following as like 40,000 followers or something. And then all of a sudden, and I'm going to take you through, this is kind of where I've been following along is the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, the, where is, where is this at? The, uh, the fake rate or the fake memes. So I posted this, this was uh, fake the memes of production. So Skrilla and four other uh, fake rare artists, they pretty much organically started creating the, these fake versions, which is very similar to how the, the fake rares thing started. So fake rares, for those who don't know, is kind of the companion or the successor to, to Rare Pepe's. And how it started was Skrilla, who founded fake rares. He's an OG Rare Pepe artist. He created DJ Pepe and a handful of other ones. He posted a Pepe or a fake Pepe inside of the, the Rare Pepe's telegram, and he got insta-banned. So he took that that card and he tokenized it and airdropped it to like a bunch of people and started calling them fake rares. And then a bunch of other people started doing it. And it was a very similar uh, organic creation to how Rare Pepe started, where people were just posting Pepe's inside of uh, the Telegram, calling them rare, then started putting them on the blockchain and so on and so forth. And so once this started happening, the first person to do this was... Uh, JPEG Killa, he did the fake the memes of production. And this original image is from uh, Grant Yuan, who's a super popular, I think it's like called Neo-Prussianism. He created this fake card and it, he started following the open edition meta, which is happening right now, where people are using Manifold. It's all happening through Manifold. Started issuing these open editions for about one hour. And basically... He did this January 11th, and then about eight days later, Carsonated did one where he 
I created a fake of the Freedom Nakamoto card, which is now at 40 ETH, but he did it with Vitalik and it says Freedom to Transact with the OFAC compliant blocks, which is quite <laughs> quite funny, honestly, when you think about it. Yeah. And then two days later, Skrilla created one. And this one's actually even hilarious. So basically, if you can see this image, it you can't really see, but it's this is Dan Sickles who created the uh, some documentary, which Adam is a part of. Dan started unloading his meme bags. Like literally every single one of these is Dan Sickles selling all of his memes. Oh, that's hilarious. I, I didn't and, realize there was that that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess him and Skrill are like friends or something. And then at the very top, uh, Dan buys the Freedom of Keck card, which is the Series Zero Fake Rares card. So that's why it says feels fake man, sees the memes of production. It's Dan selling all his memes and buying a fake rare. <laughs> the first fake rare. The first fake rare card. So that's awesome. it, 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 it just screams exactly how rare pepe started and so then you had two other artists pepe nardo and uh, viva lavandal created one and basically they said that you have to collect all five of these cards to um right here let me go to the profile you basically have to collect all five of these cards and you're going to get a, a a master pass and the master pass allows you a, a free mint or it allows you a guaranteed allow list spot for every upcoming fake meme drop which is exactly how 6529's gradient is. 6529's gradient, I believe, is selling for about 69 ETH at this point in time, which is basically just you get an allow list on every... Here it is, yeah. You get an allow yeah, list on, on every single one. But what they did now is they basically combined the, uh, the fake rares uh, mechanic, where in fake rares, if you want to create a fake rare, you have to buy a fake ASF card and then you have to uh, burn it. And so here they said, be, for every single one of those five uh, cards that you own, you'll be able to mint a, a meme ASF. And then if you burn three meme, meme ASFs, you could mint your own fake meme in the collection. So they're combining 6529's The Memes Collection with kind of the fake rare mechanics with all of the fake rare artists and Basically, this this set right here that you see on the screen ran from 0.35 ETH to two and a half ETH. It got up to four. I believe it's back down to two and a half. You had uh, Dingling get in, who's literally one of the largest whales in NFT space, as you could see. He owns 100 Bored Apes, he owns 100 Cool Cats, all these punks and all this different stuff. Here's the the information for it. So the snapshot is happening on January 31st. Um, so if you hold all five, then you can get a master pass. This is actually now, uh, they, so they created a, a telegram. They even integrated it now into the fake rares website. So you have the fake memes and you can see here, this is a, a video of uh, all of the different uh, zero a season zero. So all there's a bunch of like miscellaneous cards that are minting right now. Most of them will probably go to zero, but some of them will make it into series zero, which will be on the website. And these are some of the ones that have been purchasing, which are pretty cool looking. Like this one is absolutely fantastic. There's going to be a vote to see which one of these goes into series zero. And uh, then beginning series one, they're all going to be on minted on the same contract so that they can all be in one place. So right now there's kind of a scavenge of like a small meta of which one of these are going to make it into series zero because those are the ones that will probably 
end up having some value. I know oh, wait, it's, they're gonna they're gonna remint these. No, so those fest? no, so those series zero ones are going to just basically be on the website as the series you. zero okay. as yep. an individual assortment, and then beginning gotcha. series one. Once you get the mint pass and the meme ASF cards going, then they're all going to be on just one collection page. So then they'll actually have something very similar to like the rare Pepe artists and the, yep. the fake rare, whatever they're called. But you need three meme ASFs to mint one. And there, I think he said there's a max of about 3,000 total that'll happen. Like, uh, so you'll have 3,000. So it, again, it's just another very similar thing, but it's on Ethereum. And Skrilla, he put a tweet out saying, like this all is going to lead back to rare Pepe's and fake rares. Of course, it sparked some controversy within the the fake rare and rare Pepe community. But you even saw Joe Looney now is getting in on the action. He did his own series zero card. So you have some of the OG ones coming in. Some of the fake rare people feel betrayed because they're saying like this is just a giant cash grab. <laughs> and then and then some of the some of the fake rare community and some of the other people are saying, hey, look, this is on ETH. Like this is banking it very successful. Uh, the Emblem Vault Curated Collections is not here yet, and we have to follow this this kind of meta to then create and make it openly accessible for anybody to go in and create something. Uh, and I was talking with a handful of people who reached out to me asking me kind of about this, and my thought is like, for at the time I bought the full collection for as like 0.8 ETH or something like that. I said, if this meme trend is something like PFPs to where every single community is going to have their own tokenized Ooh. meme collection, like this is this is where I want to be. This will be number two of everything. This will be uh, this will be the Azukis, right? Azukis are number two. Board Apes are number one. This would be like the Azukis of like this like meme classification. If let's say OpenSea takes adds a meme category to their to their page, oh, like that's it. Like that's that's where it's going. So uh, that's kind of like where my thoughts are and. I'm just playing it because I think some of the art's cool. I really like the culture, and I do think it has some ampl amplification effects uh, for rare Pepe's and fake rares once the accessibility um, is laid out. But now that I've laid it out to you, uh, what what are your thoughts? Do you still think it's a scam, or do you think there's some likes here? <laughs> of course it's a scam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. When you can make infinite number of things... How do those things hold value? And obviously you get, uh, Leo's probably better at this than I am, but um, you start thinking about, okay, well, okay, if the historic rare Pepe, you know, artists are involved, okay, that's probably going to be more valuable than something done by Adam, right? Or, okay, it's 6529, and he was one of the first to really truly understand this and start his own. Does that hold the value, you know? My, my gut says we may have a massive correction, but it may be a year from now after, like you said, everybody's doing memes. Um, who knows? I'd love to hear ETH Hord's uh, viewpoint on this and, and what he thinks. Yeah. Um, I am a self-proclaimed cynic, and I think it's probably, uh, you know, it hurts sometimes, but it helps a lot to kind of be grounded in realism. And, you know, we look at these, everything within cryptocurrency is is a giant wave, right? It goes up, it becomes in the narrative, everyone jumps on, you see a bunch of imitations of it, you see the OGs get pissed at the new ones that are becoming so successful so quickly. Um, 
and you know you get these wars and it's all about attention and eyeballs and the more attention eyeballs you get the more the price goes up the more price goes up the more euphoric everyone gets i felt it um in 2021 i want to say kind of early fall with art blocks and i just remember at that time right because i had some art blocks i i was a fan of it um but I need to stop trusting my gut because whenever I think something looks stupid, I'm totally wrong. Right. I remember, that is your gut. That's your gut telling you to go all in, bro. <laughs> when you see yeah. something and you're like, Oh, that's, that's so dumb. You need to immediately go buy all you can. <laughs> I'm not like tattoo that to my arm. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, cause I remember seeing squigglies when you could mint them, you know, as many as you wanted. And I was like, these things look, these things look silly. Um, but I really liked some of the other art blocks and those were the ones I was grabbing and maybe those didn't, uh, they didn't have the same kind of crazy value, but then we got into that euphoric phase and I told my buddy, I said, I'm going to start dumping these. Um, I, I mean, I just can't imagine they're just going to keep making more and more. I mean, the number of, of total art blocks is just going to keep going up and look at these gas wars and you can get involved in a gas war, set your glade a thousand mint one and then flip it instantly and, and make a profit. Um, and that's not gonna last. And so, yeah, I mean, I was at least somewhat right there. Here, it's the same sort of thing. You will see you will see ones hold value. Squigglies are still ridiculously high and I regret, there was a time where I wanted one and I could have you know, swapped out a, a, a Hearst currency for one, one to one, I didn't. Now I'm holding, you know, it's what, one fifth the price or something. Um, but it's fine. I like my currency. I, I, I think the hindsight 50, 50 of all of a sudden someone tells you that this is the price and then you want it because the price is that high. And that's where we're at right now. There, I, I can't not see there being a correction when you see everyone jumping in and imitating imitations. Um, however, yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean they're going to go to zero and there's definitely FOMO. I wasn't, I never had the opportunity to get the original, but with the fakes I did, and I saw, you know, Skrilla say, hey, mint this, and I clicked on it, and I got to the Manifold site, but I'm on my phone, and it's always hard on the phone, <laughs> and I just was like, oh, I'll do it later, and of course, then time ran out, and then I sure. see, you know, the price goes up, and now you're kind of, I don't know if anyone else has done this, but you get in that mode where you had the opportunity, and you just kind of fumbled it, um, and it was right there, and, and then you just, kind of want to ignore it you know, and like out of sight out of mind and it's hard right you know sometimes like before bed i, I would check in the prices on, on the <laughs> like, oh man um but uh it's all interesting and it's fun to pay attention to and um i think they're gonna hold value it's just right now we're in that which one day. right which one's gonna be the one to hold the value right it's yeah that's kind of that's kind of why i've just like been doing a, a spray on the ones that i like i did also just pull up while ethor was talking that cosmo uh dimidisi is also launching his own memes collection on february 1st so one of also the largest influencers in the space is getting suit uh 6529 was also tweeting with him and they were doing collab tweets about it I think the ultimate uh, meme playout and also sign of validation for fake memes is if six five two nine creates his own meme in the fake meme collection. He just goes and buys three meme ASFs when they're there and creates it, yep. and that would just send shockwaves through, right? Because all you need in the the NFT space is just like literally one little memetic thing to happen before 
it just completely sends everything into into orbit. It makes uh, me think of the if you remember in 2021, um, people were selling their memes. You remember, you know, the girl in front of the burning house. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know date me girl or whatever she was. I don't know. There were a bunch of them that sold, right? Like half a million dollars for these ones. And yeah, this is kind of like, yeah, literally. I mean, but this is like, for me, this is almost like a, a evolution of that. Um, where if you are one of those, you know, randomly, um, you create a meme or something, you can, this is a, a an area to capitalize on. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, they're actually just kind of reworking existing memes. Um, but these derivative of memes, uh, NFTs, man, it's magical. It's magical. Me, me, yeah, absolute meme derivatives. I mean, the, the whole, uh, I mean, the, the whole like open edition meta uh, collabing with like memes, it's all going through Manifold. And from what I'm seeing now, Manifold just added notifications to people's uh, to, to creators, they're just going to continually add utility on top of it. To me, I don't think this is stopping. I see it as just a, a larger trend that uh, eventually every community is just going to have their own meme collection. I saw Pudgy Penguins also, or no, Sappy Seals, excuse me. Sappy Seals also launched their own community meme collection. I think it's called the Meme Generator, Meme Factory or something like that on their own website. So this is, it's just somebody, the, the NFT community in whole needs a, a narrative to, to jump on for it to kind of really get everything going. And from what I've seen, it was kind of before I got into NFTs, but they said the whole NFT market began booming through Nifty Gateway in 2020 through open editions. So, uh, Ethor, if you want to put yourself on mute real quick, I think your, your baby's crying a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the whole The whole NFT boom began through open editions through Nifty Gateway. So this could just you start could be a smaller uh, thing. Mifika, what's, what's your take on this? Oh, this is so interesting. It's so interesting. You know, I, I think, well, I preface all my comments in, in saying that I'm not a trader. So I've always looked at things from a collector's perspective. So when I'm looking at, at, at these new collections, 6529, and same thing, I, you know, I saw, I saw, I have this list on Twitter where I kind of have things like 15, 20 people who every single tweet of theirs, I, I'm, I'm, I always retweet or like. And 6529 was on there, Jack Butcher as well. And both of them saw tweets around their open editions or their projects and for some reason slept on, on both of them. So lost out on, on both those opportunities. But in saying that, I think this is the most bullish thing for, for Rare Pepe's that I've ever seen. The fact that we have now arguably yeah. 6529, uh, Medici, the largest influencers in the space all creating uh, basically new um, similar projects to the original Rare Pepe's collection is, is extremely bullish. To Adam's point in terms of which ones maintain value, I think is, is, a, is there such a critical question. And I, I, I tend to think in terms of which ones will, will maintain value will be the ones that, that speak to a, a more significant um, narrative that's important to crypto people but also that Web2 people can get behind. So you notice already we're seeing it with 6529, freedom to, freedom to transact. Those memes particularly seem to really hit a chord with people. And I think beyond us here in the Web2, in, the, in, in crypto and NFTs, I think that is a narrative that as well, a lot of people who aren't in, 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 in Web3 can get behind. So I can see potentially those maintaining strong value 
if we see every collection now having a meme uh, sort of memes, I mean, I think we could be on the on the cusp of, a, of another bull, like another bull run. I do think the fact that memes have such power to communicate to people, to resonate with people, it's 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 a it's a it's people underrate them, like they they underestimate them, but it's a really important channel to to communicate ideas or to just make people laugh as well. It's really important. But ultimately, where where I'm at right now is like. I know with NFT land, attention is such a critical thing. The attention is all eyes in 6529 right now on fake memes, et cetera. I mean, when you have Elon, so Space Daddy, right? You've got Space Daddy, the floor for Space Daddy right now is 0.37. That recently, and it recently um, got burnt. So there's only 299 Space Daddies now. So when you have the first Elon Musk NFT, 299, tokenized in 2016 at 0.37 ETH, uh, then, but then you have all these other derivatives up at basically um, at a much higher floor price. I personally am hard pressed to invest in in newer projects and going back and sort of seeing where where people aren't really focused focusing on at the moment. So that's my kind of perspective right now. But I I, I do think this is a really important trend that we're seeing, and it's going to bring a lot more attention to NFTs. Uh, people are gonna get again think it's it's stupid and it's a it's a scam etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But I do think uh, people are gonna go. You know what? This is funny as fuck. These are funny. We'll see. Yeah. The the interesting component to this is that uh, for all the the derivative projects, the most valuable card is the one that is uh, symbolic to Rare Pepe, to the Nakamoto card, the Freedom uh, Nakamoto's 3080. The uh, freedom to transact question mark and fake memes uh, is over two ETH. Might have fallen a little bit, so maybe Cosmo DC also launches the same. And so it just shows that <clears throat> the most valuable card is the rare Pepe. But then it leads to the question: If six five two nines following is so large and he has such a, a mimetic value within the community, can the Nakamoto Freedom card actually flip? the Nakamoto card, the rare Pepe card. Uh, Leonidas, what, do you think this can happen? I know you proposed this question on Twitter, I think a week or two ago, before fake memes even became a thing or before Seize the Meebs uh, had launched. Yeah, it's a great question. I think it would certainly be a weird feeling to have this new card, right? Flip, they're both the same supply. That said, you know, guys, uh, my take on this is that this thing does look to have legs. It's got network effects. It's got a lot of people just basically very passionate about it very quickly. You can go look at the Dune analytics. It's all just up and to the right. You've got all these new collections dropping from other big names in the space that at least gives it runway for like one month more, right? And then the real question is, are we talking a PFP level product market fit or is this going to fizzle the way loot? And many of these other kind of trends that happen fizzled, right? And I don't know the answer to that. My guess is that it has legs to kind of keep going. Um, what is everything old is new again, right? Like rare Pepe's were super successful. We're just doing rare Pepe's 2.0 is more or less what's happening here. We know it worked in 2016. We know that catalyzed the crypto art movement. Um, when these artists band together in a group, there's a safety there. There's a discoverability, a visibility. There's a safety for collectors storing value. You're not worried that this is going to be some random token that gets forgotten about. 
you've got the safety there. So that makes it a strong store of value. It's a good model to uh, store value on, in my opinion, relative to uh, having like 100 different random kind of collections for these artists. So yeah, I, I think the big question for me is, and I think this is relevant to this conversation is, you know, how much is the fact that this is basically rare Pepe's on Ethereum directly on OpenSea playing a role in the success, right? Um, if they had done this on Counterparty, how popular would it be? And, and it just begs the question, what happens when rare Pepe's uh, get a similar experience? What happens when Spells of Genesis gets a similar user experience on OpenSea? That's, the, that's kind of the million dollar question, no pun intended. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're right, man. I mean, like, look, if this was happening on Counterparty, this wouldn't be happening, right? It's happening because it's happening on Ethereum, right? It's just, that's where the eyeballs are. Um, yeah, it's it's so interesting, these layers of, you know, remixing what's already been done, right? And just not even remixing, just straight up, just doing what's already been done, just at a different time. And uh, with the right tools, like in the right space, with the right network effects and uh, what can happen. And it's interesting. You just start thinking about well, what other stuff was done a few years ago and kind of failed and how can that be remixed and re re-engineered and re, you know, I don't know what we were talking about, Jake, we were talking about uh, Adam Levine and tokenly, right? Mm -hmm. Is there a space for that again? <laughs> right. Is that, a, is there a space for network effects to really work for tokenly this time? I mean, it kind of worked in 2016. Could it really work now if we did something like that? So I don't know. There's all this sort of uh, interesting stuff happening, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, me, me too. Uh, once we get the curated collections, collections launched, it'll be an interesting timeline to see fake memes competing with 6529's memes, competing with Rare Pepe, competing with fake Rare, all on Ethereum. So I think that's actually will be like the kind of Either the it'll I'd be the either the absolute top or it'll be the absolute <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be the absolute breakout moment uh, for for rare Pepe's and for everything else. Uh, exciting I'm just wondering when's the next meme PFP coming out, right? It's like <laughs> MFers are like the one, but it's like man, this thing is ripe, dude. This is like this is the time, right? Yeah, so but, we'll but, sp but speaking about counterparty and Doge party and everything, uh, Dogfather is going to be joining us as uh, kind of the counterparty. A specialist or expert who's sitting here on stage with us uh, so we can move past the memes and move into uh, one of our favorite chains of, his of history of counterparty uh, dogfather is there anything going on over there um, that's been notable um, or anything that you would just like to mention as um, your inaugural episode on the vault yeah man i would love to do that so first i think the timing to bring the rare pappies in one collection on on OpenSea and Ethereum would be perfect. I think right now the stage is set, you just have to be there. So that was the first thing, I mean, fully in line with, with Leo and Mafiko. And then the second thing is I was digging a bit into uh, the counterparty database and looking into, uh, you know, writing this thread about the web puppies. And the one thing that was that's really um, eye-opening is just the small number of wallets holding web puppies. You know, you and me and, you know, everyone in this small bubble is, is thinking everyone is holding rare puppies, but that's not true, right? So they're like 30K wallets holding rare puppies, which sounds like, okay, that's, that's quite something. But uh, 22K wallets is basically emblem vault. So it's just basically one rare puppy 
in one wallet. So you guys are taking care of a lot of the rare papers and a lot of the market. So how much is that leaving on the native market, uh, you know, on counterparty? And if, if I filter out the super high supply cards, if I see uh, the wallet should hold more than one Pepe, because, I mean, who is a collector holding one, one Pepe? Um, so we are, we, are, we are down to, let's say, 4K of wallets. 4K. That's not much. And then bear in the back of your mind. Typically, every kind of seasoned counterparty artist or collector has multiple wallets just because of one very important reason. If you want to sell your rare Pepe, typically you do that via a dispenser. For a dispenser, which is something like an automated uh, sales bot, you have to set up a new wallet just in order to not trigger it with some other payments. Because if you send, send some BTC to, to, to an address with an open uh, dispenser, it would send your card to the sending address. So then maybe your rare pappy is gone uh, and is sitting on counterpart on, on you know Coinbase. Um, and it, it's gone, right? So so if you want to say that maybe there are 1,000 native rare peppy collectors on counterparty, that is like tiny, tiny, tiny. So you have to go to Ethereum to go to these 30 million or so active users who want to buy the original, you know, the underlying meme uh, 6529 and, and the others are, are ref referring to. And, you know, this, this could be a, a, a real explosion if done right. Yeah, that's actually, uh, well, that's, that's almost I'm telling you guys, there are 500 of us, if that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it might be just like 150 of us here. It's like, seriously. Um, it's, and it's an amazing point uh, about the, the number of holders on, on Counterparty is incredible. Like, just to think about how few people want to take those next steps to get a bit of Bitcoin, to, to learn how to use Counterparty. I mean, it's easy to use. You can learn in 20 minutes. But still, um, how few are willing to do that? It's it's incredible, and it just shows how you know incredibly early we are. Really, it's everything what? really happens on Ethereum. We we try to uh, you know we try to dismiss it and say rare Pepe's are the OGs, right? We get in this echo bubble. It, it's almost very similar to the you know the the timestamp absolutist people who just. Uh, kind of just yell like that their project's the oldest without doing anything to kind of attract people to come on. It's the same thing that's going through our Pepe's, even though, you know, it is one of the holy grails of, of historical NFTs. There has to be an integration into the new, into the new ecosystem. Ethereum is by far the, the de facto smart contract platform that gives accessibility and utility to pretty much um, anything that we want to do. And with Emblem Vault, you know, it's uh, it's in, it's in our hands to kind of bring it there. It's a lot of responsibility, uh, but I'm excited to do it and kind of and see what happens uh, when, once that day comes. But 4,000, that's that blew me away. I thought it was actually much higher than that. Uh, Ethor, do you have something to say? Yeah. Yeah, Dogfather, that, those are some crazy numbers. Uh, an analogy that, that I'm kind of going straight to is um, it's almost like exchange or counterparty is uh, – it's like a farmer's market in bumfuck nowhere in Kansas, you know, <laughs> and you could, you could have the best freaking pluots in the world, but the market that you're selling to there, you're just not going to have enough people to, to buy them up. And then well, that's, what's so great about emblem. It's, it's like transferring all those amazing fruits to some, 
you know, super bougie, you know, like Santa Monica farmer's market and they're going to sell like hotcakes. You just have the people there to buy them up and, you know, the wealth as well to uh, say, all right, it's, it's you know, $8 a pound for these things, way more than the supermarket, but it's worth it. Um, and, and that's, that's crazy to think how low those, those numbers are, uh, yep. on wallets right now. Though. Well, a lot, a lot of room to grow, uh, and very exciting times for emblem. So we'll give a, a little bit of an update of where we are. Uh, we're kind of towards the end of, uh, getting this rare pep base, the bridge, uh, I don't know. It's a bridge migration portal, um, is like what's actively being built right now. And I think that's kind of the, the final piece to it. Once that happens, we have bulk listing or, or bulk minting. Um, so if these OG rare Pepe artists that hold, I don't know, 30% of the supply, sometimes upwards of 80% of the supply, they can literally just mint it all in one transaction. Again, the whole top, the whole point of all of these conversations is that we're trying to make it as frictionless as possible to uh, get these uh, in people's hands. So that's, uh, that's what's kind of around the corner. And then once we get that going, it's going to be Spells of Genesis and then the rest of the Pepe's uh, fake, fake rares, fake commons, dank rares, because uh, at the end of the day, we're our business and we, we got to get, we got to keep the lights on. Uh, speaking to it, because I mean, today we saw 250 ETH sales. We saw the Satoshi card and the FD card both of those going through the X2Y2 portal. So, you know, it, it's great to facilitate the transactions, but Emblem Vault sees, saw none of that, right? So the the uh, the profitability of the company has taken probably a 50% hit since this uh, X2Y2 uh, private portals has come on. And we do want to respect, you know, people having the ability to access things differently however they want. Uh, but it's definitely something that we're trying to uh, work towards. And I think... Uh, once we launch these curated collections, um, you know it's going to be on it's going to be on OpenSea and uh, only on OpenSea, and so hopefully that'll uh, help us build this historical NFT marketplace and uh, some of the other things that we want to do. Uh, but alongside of just sales, we had uh, mostly just rare Pepe's and fake rares. You see at the bottom the uh, package claim was three ETH, Com Pepe was three ETH, and then the old school Pepe Reaper uh, for two point oh four ETH. And vintage pep. Those are two rare pepes. The two previous that sold higher were fake rares, and then the two before that were supposed genesis. So those are kind of just the three most popular uh, collections on uh, Counterparty and Emblem Vault right now. Uh, Adam, do you have anything to add? It looked like you're going to say something. I'm just excited to see you know when when this you know the way it works, and you know the way that crypto Twitter and NFT Twitter work. Once something starts moving. Uh, it just becomes a tidal wave. And uh, I I'm just excited for that to happen really for the first time for Pepe's um, because it it's never really happened. I mean, Pepe's have had a little bit of shine, but not really that easy access where the average, you know, guy like myself with no knowledge of anything can come in and just hit the buy button. Uh, that's going to be exciting when that finally pops off. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that's going to happen. Put yeah. my Naka in the ring with the Freedom Naka, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> First round knockout. Oh boy, I'm excited for that, dude. The the collectors, just uh, the, the the collector landscape within NFT land is is quite small. Uh, I I know there's a lot of flippers that are getting into the memes and some of these other things, but uh, to bring the collectors from 
you know, counterparty and Namecoin onto Ethereum, we can hopefully kind of revolutionize that. That was kind of the whole point of this show was to show that, you know, there are collectors to create a, a nice landscape for people who are kind of similar to the, the Bitcoin uh, investment strategy where you just want to buy and hold. You don't want to partake in the rat race of whatever is the hot topic of the day. Or uh, if whenever you scan through the Twitter spaces that are happening, they're all cycling through the same things. They're either uh, talking about flipping, they're talking about the floor price of an asset, or they're talking about whatever the influencer is doing to scam somebody, right? It's just like, it's the same three things on uh, on repeat. So we're trying to just create a more comfortable space and kind of take the opposite approach. If there's something I've learned in crypto is that as long as a community survives, it'll never stay nascent forever. It'll definitely um, find it's 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 shining light in that kind of moment at some point in time it just depends uh how long they want to stick out for it but we brought ethord here uh we're also going to it was a, this is actually a pretty terrible transition to it but i'm just going to go ahead and do it anyways <laughs> uh we're going to have a new segment with ethord uh, i'm going to let him just lay out what he plans to do uh moving on forward and uh it's going to be unique because we do want to open up this to more than just historical nfts yeah i actually thought it was a pretty good transition and i was in my head yeah, I was wondering in my head, like, uh, are you transitioning to collectors and, and physical collections and stuff like that? Because you were you were getting there. And um, yeah, so this is a segment I'm going to be I'm going to be leading called Quarter of the Week. Uh, it explores the world of physical collecting. Each week, we're going to focus on a specific product, digging into its history and exploring what characteristics set certain items apart from the general collection. Um, and kind of going back a little bit too to what I was saying with my, um, my gut feelings, I think that it's really good to study just kind of collections in general and, and what people look for and, and what certain things stand out, whether it's stamps or coins or some of these really weird things we're gonna be talking about over the weeks. Um, to find out, okay, you know, how can we kind of relate some of that stuff into NFTs to to pick apart, okay, what's actually going to be valuable, right? Um, and this week is going to be focused on Pez. Let's go, Pez. <laughs> Pez, Pez, for anybody who doesn't know, those are little dispensers with the little head on top, right? Y'all ate them growing yes. up. I ate them by the, I would just dump, Super I would just <laughs> put the candy straight in my mouth, screw the dispenser. <laughs> you did. Yeah, just open them out of the paper and just pop them. But yeah, as as a candy, they're um, not that good. It kind of leaves leaves them to be desired. They're almost like just little colored sugar pellets. Um, however, it's all about the dispensers that they are um, presented in that have created this collectible market. And uh, this would wouldn't have been my first choice of what I do for Hoarder of the Week, but um, Netflix released a, uh, a documentary this week called The Pez Outlaw. Highly recommend people to check it out. It's pretty, it's pretty good. It's entertaining. Um, basically, this dude went to some tiny little factory in Eastern Europe and uh, swooped a bunch of like small production and prototype Pez dispensers and then you know would fly back to the US and, and found a market for them where these people would pay ridiculous amounts of money. 
Um, and if you think about it, right, that's not too different than what some people do in the NFT space. And, um, you know, think about us as, uh, as people that are, are digging up old projects and, and minting them for free or whatever, and then able to, to sell them to the right um, people. So yeah, it, it's about, he found this alpha, he went, he, I guess he would pay this dude under the table to grab a bunch of these. Um, and then there's one specific story in, in the doc that I, I found funny uh, that, that we can relate to, which is the bubble boy dispenser. So it's this hideous pig faced looking dude with giant cheeks. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess it was a prototype and it was just six of them in a safe and the dude in Eastern Europe says, Hey, look, these never saw the light of day. And he's like, wow, those are cool looking. Can I have one? He's like, yeah, sure. Have one. So he gives him this free bubble boy one. And then he takes it to all these uh, road pez shows or whatever in the United States and, and is able to sell it uh, for a, a good chunk of change. And then, you know, that kind of propelled him to being this, this quote, you know, pez outlaw guy that would have all these rares. And, uh, <laughs> and so the president finds out and hears about this because this guy is, you know, starting to make little waves in the small Pez community. And he hears about this guy who's doing this, doesn't know how he's getting it, but he knows he's getting stuff. He says, I'm going to screw this guy over. So at least for this bubble boy Pez dispenser, he decides, screw it, we're going to mass produce him, right? So he makes, he just inflates the supply up wazoo and uh, and then it became worthless, right? So that's, that's always funny. Uh, yeah, yeah I, it's, I, it's something I, that. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was say, uh, I didn't, it's something we always fear too, right? With uh, with revival projects, I remember even with the Mooncats, people were worried that they were going to make a bunch more. And I joked about it. I think on on a spaces, um, and 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 people did not take it kindly as a joke when I said, "Yeah, they'll make like ten million more of these Mooncats, so everyone <laughs> have one." <laughs> and so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, we see that a lot. You know, it's all about having the right supply. Not too little, but not too much. Yep. What are you going to say, Jake? Yeah, we see how important it is to lock the supply, like on Counterparty and stuff like that, from a collectible standpoint, that it's that we know the maximum amount is is obviously super important. And it actually presses this, this, this idea, um, and I'd love your guys' opinion on this, about like how much is too much, right? And we see it maybe a little bit with Mooncats with 25,000 supply. Is that too much? You know, and therefore we have to break that 25,000 into the smaller pieces, you know, either by year or rarity um, to be able to understand value. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I think uh, well, when, if we just take it back to, to, to the Pez, uh, I didn't get to watch the documentary, but, you know, I used to collect... I used to be a big Pokemon card collector. Uh, and when I was collecting, collecting Pokemon, uh, it was only when the 151 existed. And when they were making, uh, with the 151, they had the, the regular version, the American version, they had the Japanese version, and then they had kind of these holograms, but they were all of the 151. But once they expanded to the next uh, 151, that's when I got out. It was just like, to me, I just really wasn't interested in anymore. The supply for me was too demanding, but they could make a million derivatives of the, the first 151. I was, I was I was focused. I wanted to collect those. I was very familiar with it. It wasn't until they expanded it as to where I kind of really lost interest in it because maybe you've just like either over-invested so much to where you just it's not something that you want to partake in 
uh, you've lost, it's kind of loses its nostalgic value um, or maybe just some of the other criteria that people tend to tend to use, but it's either you're, you're losing the amount of, or the amount of money um, that it's going to take. You think, you think about it, oh, another 151, right? I've invested $5,000 into these Pokemon cards. Now I'm gonna have to invest another 5,000. It's just like <laughs> such a mental hurdle where you're like, it's not something that I, that I want to partake in. Ethord, actually, I had yeah. a question for you about like how collectors, um, like in the the Pez community, if it wasn't even produced, how would they even know that it was a real quote unquote real Pez dispenser, right? How did they know it was like actually produced by the company and not just some fake knockoff? Yeah, well, there are serial numbers on the side. Um, I guess you know that's part of why blockchain is so revolutionary. Is is it's immutable and it's nearly impossible to, um, you know, to, to forge, but that's kind of, I guess, you know, there's the trust or there's articles, but there's the serial numbers on the sides of them and, um, more details too, with knowing what some of these other ones, uh, were created and, and Pez admits to them, uh, and then the, the rarities of them, but so, yeah, I'll dig a little deeper. Uh, with this, I've, I've broken everything down into kind of the origin, which is just quick history of the product, uh, and then what makes them certain ones valuable, and then and then some top sale highlights. So the origins of Pez through Pez dispensers, um, they uh, they weren't available in the U.S. until after World War II, but they're actually created by this Austrian inventor named Edward Haas III in 1927 um but the first release wasn't 19 uh, wasn't for another 19 years so in 1948 uh pez released their first dispenser the uh the v1s if you will uh <laughs> looked a lot like a cigarette lighter and um i i do have an image of it and i have another image um i guess we can i, sh I should have sent those to you ahead of time uh jake but um, yeah, so they, they were metal and they looked like a cigarette lighter because it was actually initially intended to be an aid for people uh, to stop smoking. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a cool history, but it didn't have those heads that you'd expect um, from, from the get-go. And uh, what makes certain ones valuable? Uh, we'll probably see a lot of repetition of this throughout different ones. Uh, you can obviously assume box versus unboxed, right? They want things to be in the original packaging. Um, and then popular characters versus unknowns, right? So Pez has a ton of different heads and a lot of Disney ones and popular characters and then some like random ones that they created themselves or the ugly bubble boy or whatever. So the market generally runs on nostalgia and they're gonna be more willing to buy characters that you know they remember and know. Um, and then vintage versus modern, this is, you know, the core of what we're all believe in our thesis, which is, you know, you could check the patent number on the side of the dispenser to see what numbers are listed. Dispensers with patent numbers of, I don't know, 2.6 million to 3.4 million um, are a, a bit more valuable because they were made between 1952 to 1974, which is considered like the peak hit era of Pez. <laughs> so um the and then the last one is uh is this is like a cool one to know i know magic gathering has some of these where you can 
there's no right off the bat when you look at it. So with Pez, it's uh, does it have feet or not, right? So when we think of our classic Pez, if you think of the base, it's got these like little South Park like feet. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so the first ones that came out, they didn't have feet. Uh, they were just square bottoms and they probably could go for a lot easier. And then by the mid 1980s, they decided, hey, we should probably put some feet on these things. And, uh, and so that, that helps to determine their age as well. What's, um, what's the, okay. what's some ideas around like how many, like, obviously some probably have millions made of whatever, a, a Mickey mouse or something like that. Um, do they have to be like ultra rare to hold real value? Does it have to be one of these where they're, oh, there were, there were only six of them, uh, made or, or are ones with, with thousands, uh, still relatively valuable. Did you learn about that? I, from all the research I did, it sounded like you could, yeah, these things sold, especially back in the day with inflation for less than a dollar. And some of the ones that were mass produced, but were um, very famous heads can sell for you know, 10, 20, $50. Um, but all the ones that have sold for a thousand plus have very limited amounts. Some are one of ones and some are, um, are very limited in just being, um, you know, prototypes that never got mass produced. But once they got mass produced, yeah, the value goes way down. Um, and then I guess <laughs> I, I, another part of that too is that um, when when you're you know when you're looking at them, the, the original ones, I don't know how many they made, but I'm sure they made a decent amount, of, and and those do sell for a lot. So if it's the first 1940s ones that it would be more than 10. Um, but the price, and we're going to see this a lot. It, we are taken aback with how much money people spend in US dollars on NFTs, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't align with other collections, right? So just already get in your head when something sells for a lot for a Pez or something else like that, um, it's going to be like a thousand to five thousand dollars, right? Um, I, I think the most expensive Pez that ever sold, sold for something like 30 grand. And it was a one of a kind that was owned by JFK. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <hi. laughs> so, yeah. And, and I think that's why I, I was, I always thought back in late 2020, how much crypto punks were going for at the time. And I was like, Oh, I'll wait till they go back down. And they never did. And that's what we're starting to see. It's just a whole different world with, with what things are valued in NFTs, but um, it's still interesting to see. So some top sales with these um, there's the, there's the Disney soft heads. So this was interesting. You know, how when you think of a Pez dispenser, it's like a hard plastic top, but for a, a little bit in the seventies, Pez thought, Hey, we can, make these that are a little more gummy, a little softer. Um, and they had this deal with Disney. So they created a, a Mickey and a Dumbo and a couple others. And they're supposed to be easy to manufacture uh, and cheaper to produce. But the oil crisis of 1979 made them prohibitively expensive to make. Um, and they were quickly discontinued. So if you have one of these, they generally sell for around 1K. And uh, and that is kind of like, yeah, when, when we're looking at certain... Um, when we're looking at certain NFTs, it could be kind of similar where if they were going to make a lot and they burned a bunch, um, it, it's kind of similar, I guess, in that vein. Um, the original that we talked about, 1940s metal uh, lighter, um, those sell for around 3000 
And then the witch bee, this is um, kind of like the perfect example of, of historics. So in 1957, the Halloween witch became the first character head Pez ever released. There were two versions of these witches, which were dubbed A and B. Version B was harder to find. So it obviously is more expensive than A, but here you go, right? This is what we know of this. This was when they shifted to creating Pez dispensers that look more like what we're used to seeing today. So this was the first one. And then there's two versions and version B is more rare. So these are highly sought after. Um, the last one sold on eBay for $1,000, but it was in pretty bad condition. I'm sure if someone has it in super mint condition, it would it would sell at an auction house for probably 10 times that. Um, and then I have one more, one last one, which is my favorite because it's funny. It's called Make a Face. It, it was uh, made in the 1970s and it had all of these kind of little parts to it, very Mr. Potato Head style. <laughs> and... Um, and so you could make the face however you wanted and allowed kids to rearrange the pieces. Unfortunately, the model didn't last long due to kids swallowing the room. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they thought that went through. That's awesome. <laughs> oh boy. So you heard while you heard while you were talking. You find, go ahead. Good, good. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I, the, the last piece of this and then I'm, I'm done, which is, yeah. So these regularly sell for around upwards of $4,000 if you have them with all the pieces. There was a component that you said of, about value that existed within Pez and, and real world collectibles that doesn't in NFTs. And I don't know if it ever will. I thought, I thought it would, it hasn't yet. And it's the idea of who possessed it before you. You'd mentioned that JF, the highest selling one is because JFK owned it, that people found it valuable. Uh, it's very similar to, and I talked about this in our first episode that uh, I was watching the El Chapo documentary and uh, after uh, he was uh, arrested, they went and auctioned off all of his pieces and all of the, uh, the richest individuals in Mexico went down there to go purchase all of his stuff and they sold and they wanted to purchase it because he owned it. They, there was like something there that they found um, of value because the, one of the most notorious killers and drug dealers in the world uh, possessed it. And it, that just has not really translated into NFTs really, right? There, people even make fun of Steve Aoki selling there selling his nft to them because right, of course he's the top buyer and all these different things but even people like gary v selling nfts uh it does not seem like there's more value transacted through that because of a prestigious individual owning an nft yeah i think it hasn't happened yet uh i mean this was something i i figured would happen you know a year ago or almost right when i you know really got into nfts like the history of the NFT itself and who held it before. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before people get excited about that. I think that's just a really cool part. It's public. Everybody can see it. So it has that flex appeal of it. Um, I just think it's a matter of time till, till people get really psyched about that. You know, that Gary yeah. V owned one of mine or whatever, whoever, you know, that Michael Jordan owned one of mine or just that history of it. Uh, I mean, we see it in the art community with who owned the Basquiat before I did. Um, it's a big part of it. And I think, I think it's only a matter of time till uh, 
somebody comes up with an explore or some way to see this or, or feel it in a kind of granular, granular level where collectors get excited about it. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a great point. The only thing I can think of right now that kind of fits is the, um, the founder cats, right? With crypto kitties. But yeah, probably those were the early ones too. So. Yeah, they were early, maybe because it's such a small supply. Uh, it does lead to interesting to an interesting point, and something that I've been considering uh, a lot um, through a handful of things that have happened pretty recently. Uh, and it's kind of this like idea of this like flow of provenance or the transition yeah. of provenance, where we've seen this historically happen, where some of the uh, older projects uh, like on Bitcoin and, and some of the early people, uh, Scribe went down. So they basically tried to remint it or even with Kevin McCoy, tried to remint it on another chain and thought that just be, because that token has existed before, the provenance would carry over even though it's been pretty much erased uh, from record history. We're starting to see that transition now, but relating to cultural uh, significance and what i mean by that is doodles 2 is moving to flow and even right before that we saw uh frank from d gods mentioned that they are migrating from soul d gods are moving to eth and then utes are moving to polygon and we've never really we haven't really seen this happen uh in real time where there's an astronomical amount of value that exists between these collections utes and d gods are number one and two on soul Doodles is one of the the top PFP collections that I think has an 80th floor times 10,000 assets. So you're saying like 80,000 ETH market cap. Will the value transition uh, with the assets as they move cross chain? And let me let me note by saying this is not a bridge that's happening because uh, Soul to ETH bridge does not exist because it's not EVM compatible. And same with Flow because it's a centralized chain. It seems that there's been pushback from the community uh, from both groups migrating to different chains, uh, at least from Utes moving to Polygon and then from Flow or from Doodles moving to Flow. And it's been received pretty well of D Gods moving to Ethereum. Do we think that these could be significant moments in time that? maybe could become a historical collection because they would be the first to successfully transition a culture or, and migrate it across chain uh, and have a, a flawless or a, like a pretty solid execution uh, open for anyone to take that question. Yeah, this was, this is a really interesting question. Uh, Jake It's one thing I've been thinking about a lot, actually writing it, writing an essay at the moment on um, blockchains as brands. And I just think, I think ultimately the pushback, particularly with Doodle, has been you've got these people who view Ethereum as the home for premium NFTs and moving to Flow, which is credit to the Doodle team. They're looking to, you know, more ma mass market appeal uh, being on Flow. And they're actually targeting a potentially a different customer than what they have on ETH. So it's going to be really challenging for them to actually transition from ETH to Flow and keep that culture alive. My guess is that it will manifest a little bit differently. There will be a, a handful of of ETH doodle holders who will go over to Flow, but you know, DC Investor, for example, who's in ETH Maxi, I just love seeing um, him discussing with the 
one of the guys on 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 the Doodles team, and he's like, no one who's really serious into crypto is going to be interested in Flow because you know closed source, etc., etc., etc. So different, fundamentally different customers that they're looking to appeal with with Flow, but ultimately it's this brand idea. People at the moment, I see a lot of people saying no one's really going to care what chain an NFT is on. I would argue they are going to care, and we actually see it already. People do really care what. Uh, what chain is on? Soul culture is very different to Ethereum culture, and I think it's only going to become more important. But this question of if it does, if they are able to transition that culture, I do think that would be a really historically significant uh, event for sure. Yeah, it's it, it, it just a oh, dog father. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe just to add that. I mean, we see that in other industries, right? So I was working a lot in banking. So when one bank was failing. Then typically the neighboring bank was taking it over, you know, with small banks. I think that same thing we see here on, on different chains. So when Sol was suffering, then, you know, all the other chains were kind of seeing the opportunity to grab the best projects, right? So Polygon uh, Foundation or whoever is holding the funds there was paying a quite decent seven-digit amount, you know, to bring this uh, project over. And I think we will see that more in the future when, you know, some chains are falling down you're the top rankings then you know the best projects you know we just go to the more successful chain and 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 those more successful chains they will cherry pick the best projects and whether that that is then something historical we will see in 10 years but i think that's something we will see in the long run i mean we won't have a hundred uh, successful chains right doing basically the same thing so we have a network effect where liquidity is pooling uh, so the best projects want to go to the best chains, right? Uh, Leonidas, you got, any, you got any thoughts on this? I know you've, uh, you have a, a pretty fundamental <laughs> understanding of uh, cultures on different blockchains. Yeah, it's interesting. So this would be a very different conversation if like, Larval Labs is moving crypto punks or something. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, mean, I like using that example because it's like, that really granularly hits you in the face. Like what's actually <laughs> happening here, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't want to imagine what that would be like. But um, yeah, so basically with Doodles 2, you're not betting on the historical provenance of like these tokens at all. Like to be honest, like if Doodles, the company went bankrupt tomorrow, the community would probably mostly fall apart. You're making a bet on a startup, a VC-backed startup. And as long as you understand that's what you're doing, you know, I don't think the provenance of the tokens matters all that much because people aren't holding the tokens for the collectability of holding doodles too. They're holding them because they want all of the utility associated with, uh, with these tokens, right? I think that is basically what they're doing. They're betting on this startup. So to me, the startup can move to its own blockchain. It can move wherever. As long as you're making a bet on them, the provenance of that token doesn't matter a whole lot personally to me. I don't think there's any real historical uh, value in the token or collectible value in the token right now. You know, maybe a very small percentage of the value. So to me, I think it's kind of a, a bit of a nothing burger, honestly. Like maybe that's me uh, being contrarian. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I think it probably makes a lot of sense if they want to try to reach people outside of the space you know the only there's like a you can count on one hand how many people have successfully done that right and it wasn't on ethereum layer one so i i commend them for you know going for it personally 
the the only thing that I could think of that was any similar, um, which actually had got some recent traction and uh, some capital, uh, was Age of Rust, where they there was a thousand, I think it was a thousand supply of each of these ten assets, and nine hundred about nine hundred eighty on average of each of them were burnt, which left about twenty of each of these left. And in the Roaring Auctions house or auction last week. There was about 14,000 in sales uh, between 10 assets. So you're saying about an ETH apiece for these, where the game hasn't even been released yet, although it is planned to be released this year. So maybe if the game is successful, then those early collectibles become even more valuable uh, because it also has it migrated to from Counterparty to Engine and now from Engine to Polygon, where it seems to have to be held home. So uh, maybe, Adam, maybe what's your thought on if, P, if there are some DGOD holders who hold back from the migration, if it is an option, and maybe you have 10 or 20 DGODs or 100 that exist on Soul, and then DGODs ends up being successful on Ethereum, do those Soul DGODs end up becoming something of histor historical because there is a successful cultural transition? Uh, you know, I don't know. Who knows, man? <laughs> at, the, at the core, I, I just say, you know, I'm, I'm viewing it more from the historical nft lens and i think it's a i i think it's a bad idea um to use bridges and you lock up one on one chain and mint a new one on another i just think it's uh creates this really crappy provenance of of products or, or projects um i mean i understand first use cases and trying to do stuff like you mentioned bitcoin she was like well what do i do they're like no options here what do i do to kind of go where people are and um but in today's market to do that um you know with doodles are they just trying to reach new collectors like like leo says well it's a vc backed company and they're just trying to go where the the money may be um you know i, I try it who knows maybe <laughs> you know I, I look at it as who cares really um and in that way yeah it probably is a nothing burger um we'll see we'll see how these things go and how they play out and maybe you know at, at the at the core collectors might be it doesn't really matter we like them on all all these different chains and bridges are the way of the future it's possible my my gut says no but you know we're still early in this early enough in this where people can try and projects can try and you know the way it works if one really works um people are going to copy it that's for sure yeah, I, I want to pull up here and show you uh, on the Pudgy Penguin website, they actually noted the reason why they were using uh, Zero Labs to, to go across chain is that they wanted to keep the, the provenance intact. It was somewhere, somewhere here um, in one of the, fir the first two paragraphs. Um, I can't remember where exactly it was, but I do remember them noting it uh, somewhere within this that the reason they wanted to do this is so that the t original token does not get burnt and that mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to keep the provenance. So it was it just gets that locked in a bridge waiting for a hack. <laughs> 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 it's like, can you imagine, right? A bunch of people migrate their penguins to whatever. I don't know where they're going, Seoul or wherever they're going, you know? And so now you have 4,500 over there on Seoul. They're locked in the, in the, you know, the ETH bridge. And then that gets hacked and then those get sold. And now you've got mimicking, you've got the same NFTs on multiple chains. You know, it just, I don't know. 
I have enough crypto knowledge to know that these typically don't end well, but we'll see. Yeah, a funny story, actually, because Emblem Vault is cross-chain. Uh, Shannon actually had to uh, close the bridge down last year between Polygon because of uh, all the hacks that were happening and had to find uh, a way around it. R-Cube posted, said, Doodles 2, as a name, is so flat. Should have been Doodles Do, D-E-U-F, <laughs> or something better. <laughs> solid, solid uh, transition. Uh, so then... As we are running out of time, kind of running into uh, about an hour and a half, I wanted to close it here on uh, where, where is it? I might have lost lost some of these. While you're looking for that, Jake, I wanted to, to give. We had talked just briefly about um, you know collectors and seeing who owned stuff before you. One of the you guys can or people listening can research. There's one called uh, the Worm which I was a part of, which was basically an NFT that you would give to somebody else. And it was kind of this chain of who owned it. And every time it let, when it left your wallet, you got basically a soul bound NFT saying that like, I got mine, I'm number 34 on the chain of the worm. And I'm not saying that that's the way forward, but it does create this, this like, uh, something that's an interesting, if somebody's listening to this and it's like, well, wait, what's one way I could exploit or do something along this line of creating this like interesting way of, of viewing previous owners of something, uh, an artist or a, a project may do something similar to what the worm did, which was pretty cool. I think. That is pretty cool. I remember that was going around at NFT NYC. That's right. Uh, he, he, the guy always shows ago. up with this giant worm there to take a picture with this like stuffed animal worm. Yeah, that's the dude. Um, it's a cool project. Yeah, I wanted to end here on uh, a write-up that I put probably way too much time into. Uh, or write-up was this like history of NFT marketplaces. Uh, Leo talked about this kind of recently that our memes in the historical space are our timelines and and thought pieces and and write-ups. And I wanted to create something a little bit different from just you know create talking about the the tokenized or the 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 history of tokenization of these different things. And from putting this together, I probably put probably about 20 or 30 hours into this. I had to do two different versions. Uh, I've come to learn that if you're ever going to create a timeline for historical NFTs, you need to be prepared to do like four versions uh, because <laughs> there's, oh, there's always new information that's presented. Somebody's going to get upset or uh, something like that. After the first version, there was a lot of people upset. Uh, I had Welcome to- Welcome to the club, Jake. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> always somebody who's going to be upset. Uh, I had to categorize, I had to first add the protocol section to it. Uh, there was a lot of things that, uh, that were brought to my attention, which I'm probably going to have to do V3 now. In 2014, everyone was kind of coalescing around this idea of authenticating NFTs or authenticating artwork. And so you had a handful of different projects attempt it in various ways between Counterparty, one name with the profiles, a monograph with monetized graphics, a Doge Party later, and a scribe. A scribe's actually like quite historical. It actually, uh, I'm trying to learn more. I might actually get Trent on the podcast soon. Uh, the first NFT marketplace is actually quite temporary, at least from my understanding. There's actually a video I put here in uh, the graphics of this transaction happening. And when I found it, it was, uh, you know, it was quite profound. I was like, I can't believe that this was actually uh, on video um, here. Uh, I, I'm gonna see if I can find it. But there's so much history going, 
going through here that you realize the protocols were the first thing of, of trying to authenticate. And then the next phase is on Ethereum and mostly Bitcoin and then a little bit of Namecoin where Kevin McCoy created uh, a marketplace where he built off of Monograph, which he did with Neil Dash, but he took this endeavor on himself. Didn't turn out too well from what I did research. Uh, Coin Temporary, all of these first two ones uh, or three with Left Gallery were all using Ascribe's technology. And then EtherID was like, the, had a, their own built-in native marketplace. And then you kind of see then from here that all these collections and build their own marketplace and then OpenSea um, kind of was the first to really realize like, Hey, I can basically create a Walmart. And then you see this proliferation in 2018 of art, um, which was kind of the, the early days. Maybe they were inspired by Repepe's or something like that. And then you start seeing the, the financialization of NFTs with Rarible with their own token. You saw NFTX with their kind of like index liquidity pools, and then this explosion, you start seeing um, all the plethora of projects and kind of the the mixing and matching to it. I was just curious uh, what you guys thought on it um, of of this type of write up, um, just at reading it and seeing that's just something that's not um, just about tokens themselves. I mean, you did an incredible job. I know this takes, you said 15, 20, 30 hours. To I can't it. believe it only took 20 hours. Man, Cause it's like, <laughs> that would have taken me add a, triple that, man. That's what it would have taken me. It's amazing. Oh, job. Dude, it was, uh, it was, it, it was fun. And then you start putting these, these documents together. And I think everyone here for the most part has put out some sort of thread or document or something like that. You start researching and you're like, man, dude, there is way more here than I expected, but once you start going, you're like, I have to put this out because I'm just going to get crucified if there's any wrong piece of information. But now I've just come to the terms that you're going to get crucified no matter what it is. So you might as well just kind of accept it with open arms. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting um, having talked with people about like the birth of OpenSea and how that kind of went down and, you know, to speak with enough people who were doing projects back then and you had to have, make your own marketplace for all these nft projects back then right everybody had their own market built-in marketplace right and it's just incredible and in how you know guys I, I can't remember who i talked with where they met the open sea guys at at a show at a conference right and the open sea guys were like please please come on our marketplace right um you know it's just it's it's all this this rich history of of how it was kind of layer upon layer built um to get to today what we have which is a bunch of competing marketplaces uh it's incredible man what's that the, the video the, of oh that's this, the yeah this is the Sorry. first transaction march 31st 2015 of uh coin temporary and it's funny if you watch this it's you could find it there is so much manual labor that goes into this transaction there's like it's like a 10-step process to get this one transaction done uh, yeah. through this marketplace for this <laughs> one for this one nft that exists and i just could not cannot believe that this uh, found it but it, the thing that they actually note uh during this demonstration is that they say for the first time ever in blockchain history you can buy a digital asset with a digital currency so they were very they were actually just like very aware of uh, what was happening at the time which is which is pretty cool because it's it's tough to diagnose um when you're building something if this is all just 
a sham and a fraud and you're getting imposter syndrome or you're like, dude, you're doubling down and, and this is something of historical value here. I mean, I think we're still early, man. When I, I saw Kevin <laughs> Rose pu push out today, like, oh, wow, I should have used this and I wouldn't have gotten, you know, $2 million stolen from me. And it's like, literally, it's like a Chrome extension that pops up and says, warning, this could be, you know, a scam link or warning, you probably shouldn't authorize all of your NFTs to be taken by this contract. You know, I think we're still freaking so early. Like this stuff is going to require decades to build. Uh, this Web3 future we're all envisioning, like it's it's gonna t it's it's years if not decades. Um, so just strap in. We're at the early stages. There's a lot to build. This layering of technology, uh, we see it here. Your your graphic really just lays out like the early starts and stops of the modern NFT, and the modern NFT is still clunky, hard to use. <laughs> It just is. It, it's clunky. We're still in the clunky stages of Web3. Yeah, yeah, Jake, it's amazing, man, the work you put into that. And, 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 and to your point, Adam, you know, these marketplaces, we've had so many, and yet people still complain about OpenSea and how bad OpenSea is. And even now, right, looks rare, blur, et cetera. Like, we have no good, uh, like, you, like, just there's no good customer experience right now. Uh, yep. and, and for somebody in the space, you know, I, I think we take for granted how many hoops we all jump on a day-to-day -day basis to even make to, to even do the most basic things, right? Transferring or listing. Dude, you know, even Ethord, like I, I was on my phone, I couldn't make it happen. You know how often, <laughs> yeah. that, that's it, dude. That's the, the problem, it's crazy. right? Yeah. It's crazy. So you know, when these things are sorted out, I mean, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be phenomenal. Which is why I'm so bullish. You know, we talk about historicals and and the fact that how hard it is right now to even buy historicals right name coin you think about going any other chain even eats like historicals it's just it's very there's a lot of things you need to understand Mooncats, oh they were wrapped here and you've got to, you have to go to this collection it's just a lot of things to think about but uh, these things will be the solvable issues which i'm which i'm comforted by once the once uh, that's more simplified and the UI UX is improved then the arbitrage opportunity is gone then when the markets become more efficient uh, the value tends to tends to collapse um, between the early movers and, and those who are getting in. So uh, yeah, you just gotta you have to learn to appreciate where you are in time. Of course, it's it's easy to, to be impatient and just just want number to go up or want uh, the emblem curated collections to be launched now or or whatever whatever it is. Uh, you just gotta just gotta learn and and try to find wise ways to to buy time. But whenever whenever the infrastructure for the community is set and uh, it's easy for people to onboard, then we're going to be the ones that, that uh, everyone's going to come look to. They'll probably be even watching this interview right now, three, four years from now, trying to understand what were the early conversations and kind of the issues, just like we did in that video I was showing from 2015. Totally. Wait a minute. You guys had, you had to put it in a special vault to buy it off the <laughs> counterparty. What are you retarded? Just buy it on your phone, dude. Just push buy, dude. What are you talking about? Right. I mean, yeah, that's where we are, man. That's literally where we are. I mean, it's just, it's hard to see because we're living in the time, right? It's, it's really hard to see. But, uh, if you look back and that's the beauty of that we have is we've looked back and seen all these little steps along the way and you recognize, Oh, we're actually still in just another step right now. And that's, that's, you got to feel fortunate, right? Because you can recognize that, oh, it's hard to buy through counterparty. 
Maybe I should buy some stuff off Counterparty. Like that's that's actually probably a good idea. You know, in 10 years, when we are standing in front of some Punicode or EtherID, ASCII art, wherever in some museum and telling them how you were digging them out, out of the ground, you know, they will not believe that. that, that that's the fun part, right? And, and you walk around the Louvre or wherever, MoMA in New York City, and, and you see these things at the wall, then you know where they are coming from. And that's priceless, you know, so much fun. Yeah, I, I tend to have fun, even though I don't dig it. Actually, one of the speaking to what Adam was saying about uh, if somebody's if there if there's like a hurdle to overcome, probably you should probably just follow it and see what happens. Uh, one of the big NFT influencers, Moon Overlord, tweet has been tweeting pretty recently over the last few days that uh, the biggest uh, value unlock right now is literally just bridging to layer two, which literally takes four four clicks to move over to it. And he said, there's so many people making money over there right now, but because of the the hurdle or mental strength for some people to just do some mental gymnastics to move to layer two, um, you know, is cutting, cutting their bags in half because that's where a lot of people, that's where a lot of value is existing right now. And literally I have to do is click a few buttons. Uh, it's a little bit different going to Namecoin and trying to, uh, download namecoin core or whatever uh, right or adam's trying to has been trying to deal with with the ordinals thing and trying oh to my god the, don't even get me started bro don't even get me started man <laughs> that reminds the, me of the early the early DeFi farming too right having to bridge to all these other chains but it's all about getting in early and farming and dumping the tokens and then moving the next one and there's a lot of people that made a lot of money that way but um yeah it's work yeah, I'll never forget those those yams days. Uh, that was the, quite quite a wild game of hot potato. There it is. But yeah, I appreciate you guys for doing this and working through uh, metastical difficulties. I'm gonna have to get back under the hood again to try to figure out <laughs> what the what the deal is. I don't know. I mean, we go third time's a charm, man. Third time's a charm, brother. Third, third time's a freaking charm. I hope. Hey so. guys, before we leave, um, I have a question for Adam. Uh, yeah. Is your pet pig around? Where we could see uh, them. Pigs upstairs in the. <laughs> upstairs. Okay. Another. Time. You've probably seen the dogs walking back and forth. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. We got the pigs on pigs on the top level. She's in the back forty today. So uh, maybe maybe uh, next week's show I'll have her down here with me so everybody can get some live piggage. Uh, All right. On. Well, we're uh, we're we're counting on it. Yeah, I forgot I forgot you had a pig. Wow. Oh, little sweetie's up there taking a nap. I put her down right before the show, so it's all good. <laughs> And and we need a bird again, you know. The bird was also cool last oh time. Oh my god, birds! It's why it's you know it's Costa Rica. It's wild jungle down here, man. <laughs> Adam is truly living the Costa Rican life. Gotta gotta love it. At least your internet is uh, was held held through today. Living the dream. Living the dream. Uh, Eth Horde, Leonidas, Dogfather, Mifiko, Adam. Uh, absolute fun conversation. I think this is going to be a fun fun time moving forward especially once we can move this towards uh, multiple times per week uh, because uh, there's still probably five or six topics that I had listed that we didn't even get to cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Trust me, we got lists of stuff that it did not happen. So yeah, you can see how this can fill out uh, a daily show for sure. Quite quick. All right. Well, uh, for those who hung in, uh, thank you guys for, for watching. Uh, we will eventually figure out the technical difficulties, but until then, uh, we'll see you next week. We'll